0: Let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Wetcomb. Bill Connor was at home in January 2017 when he got the phone call every father dreads. His daughter Abby and his son Austin had been involved in a car accident. Abby was unconscious and things didn't look good. Bill quickly rushed to the hospital where Abby lay in a coma. As he stood by the hospital bed, looking at his beautiful daughter, the doctors gave him the heartbreaking news that Abby was brain dead. There was no possibility of recovery. Her heart was beating, her lungs were breathing, but she would never wake from her coma. The doctors needed Bill's consent to remove the machines keeping Abby alive. But before they took Abby off life support machines, the doctors informed Bill that, Abby had signed an organ donor agreement. She'd agreed that should her life end, she wanted doctors to remove her vital organs and donate them to others in need. Abby wanted her death to result in the opportunity for life for others. Thousands of miles away, another family was facing their own crisis. 21-year-old Lou Mount Jack Jr. had just suffered a serious heart attack. Though he survived the attack, his heart was so weak that doctors only gave him 10 days to live. Jack needed a heart transplant at once or his life would be over. He needed a miracle and it came in the form of Abby Connor. So as Bill said goodbye to Abby, doctors prepared Jack for surgery. Abby was taken off life support. Her heart was removed and successfully transplanted into Jack. While one father wept, the whole family rejoiced. One father's loss was an entire family's gain. But the story doesn't end there. Five months later, Bill Connor reached out to Jack and asked if he could visit him at his home. He wanted to meet the man who was alive because of Abby's heart. Jack agreed to meet Bill. And so on Father's Day 2017, Bill Connor met Jack, the father who lost his daughter, met the man who was alive because she died. Then something amazing happened. Jack gave Bill Connor a parcel, and inside was a stethoscope. As Jack unbuttoned his shirt, he invited Bill to listen to Abby's heart beating in his chest. Both men wept as Bill listened to his daughter's heart inside Jack. There's a powerful lesson for all of us in the true story of Bill Connor and Jack Jr., just as bill consented for his daughter to give up her heart so that a stranger could live so god gave up his son at christmas so that salvation could come to us jesus left the halls of heaven so that he could live among us on earth he left the presence of his father so that the presence of his father could dwell in us and that's the meaning of christmas christmas means god came to live among us so that he could live within us. And to all who open their hearts to Christ this Christmas, he comes anew and afresh to dwell in us. To all who are hungry, he will come to fill us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And you can reset your walk with him today when you devote yourself wholly to God. That's the message in today's sermon. But before we learn more, let us pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you at this wonderful Christmas season of the glorious message, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, because you gave up your son, your one and only begotten son, that he might come and live among us and live within us. Your heart beats in ours because Christ lives in us. So we pray today you'll give us a revelation of how we can reset our walk with you and draw near to you as we draw near to the end of this year. We thank you by faith now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I invite you to join your faith with mine right now. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus name. Amen and amen. Well, hello everyone and Merry Christmas. It's a beautiful day to worship the Lord as we celebrate the coming of our Savior. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's 100% God and 100% man, and his coming brings life and hope and peace and joy. And best of all, his coming brings the presence of God the Father to us. For the truth is, Christmas means God came to live among us so that he could live Within us, And today, God is calling all of us to reset our walk with God as we embrace the Savior, Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading for today is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 to 16. Now receive the word of the Lord. Joseph traveled to Bethlehem in Judea from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure we're all familiar with the Christmas story of how Joseph and Mary came to Bethlehem. Jesus was born there, and the angels of heaven gave glory to God. But as we continue our 40-day journey to reset our lives, here's what I want us to focus on in this story today. Who were the people that actually saw Jesus? Who were the people that actually experienced the presence of God through Jesus Christ? For as we look at the people who experience the presence of Jesus at Christmas, we'll gain the truth we need to reset our walk with God. When we copy their example, we'll be able to experience His presence in our own lives. So today, let's discover three truths to reset your walk with God. And here's your first truth: God dwells in the humble. If you want to reset your walk with God, you have to begin with humility. You have to humble yourself. For Christ to come and dwell with you. That's the first truth we see in the Christmas story. You see, the shepherds were the lowest level of people in society. In that day and age, they were considered amongst the lowest of the low. They were dirty, uneducated men with no social standing at all. Yet, despite their shortcomings, these men were the first to experience the presence of God when Christ was born. And there's a powerful lesson for all of us in this truth today. But the fact is, of all the thousands of people in Bethlehem, of all the millions of people in Israel, of all the millions of people in the world, the first ones who experienced the presence of God outside Mary and Joseph were the shepherds. Of all the people everywhere in the world, God chose the shepherds to be the first ones to experience the presence of the Savior. Why the shepherds? Why not the rich or the powerful. Why not the political leaders or the religious leaders? Why not the prophets and the priests? And here's what the Lord wants you to know today from this amazing fact. God always visits the humble and the lowly. That's why Isaiah 57:15 says, "The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in the high and holy place" With those whose spirits are contrite and humble. And that's good news for all of us, because no matter who you are, you can have a humble spirit. You may be rich or you may be poor, but anyone can choose to be humble in heart. There are poor people who are proud and rich people who are humble. The humility God dwells with is internal, not external. That's why the verse says, Those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Any one of us can humble our hearts and become the dwelling place of God. This same truth is found in Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. The Bible says, The Lord is near to those whose hearts are humble. And in that verse, there's a great promise. You can reset your walk with God when you humble yourself. When you have a humble heart, God promises to come near to you. Anyone and every one of us can have a humble heart. For the truth is, humility is simply putting God in his rightful place and keeping myself in my rightful place. Humility acknowledges that he is God and I am not. Humility says, he is the creator and I am his creation. He is the Lord and we are his people. He is the shepherd, we are the sheep. He is the master, we are his servants. He is the infinite, we are the finite. Sadly, too many today want to exalt themselves. Even in the church, we've elevated and exalted ourselves as if greatness is in us apart from God. We've made idols out of pastors, and we place prophets on a pedestal, but God will not share His glory with any man. He alone is worthy of praise. There is only one person worthy of glory and praise and honor, and that is the Lord. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. This reminds me of the story of the donkey who carried Jesus on Palm Sunday. On the day this donkey carried Jesus into Jerusalem, the people shouted, Hosanna! They waved palm branches and laid their garments on the ground. The poor, foolish donkey thought they were doing that for him. So the day after carrying Jesus into Jerusalem, he went back to town expecting to receive another warm reception. Wandering into the market, the donkey found some people buying a cart. Here I am, he shouted. It's me, the Great One. He started braying loudly, but to his surprise, the people ignored him and continued haggling and paid no attention. Throw your garments down, the donkey said angrily. Don't you know who I am? But the people barely registered that he was there. Someone even slapped him on the backside, ordering him to move. Miserable pagans, muttered the donkey to himself. The people of the temple will remember me from yesterday. But when he got there, the same thing happened. He strutted down the street, but no one paid him any attention. Where are the palm branches? Yesterday you threw palm branches and garments in front of me. Upset and angry, the little donkey galloped home to his mother. He burst into the barn and started weeping. Mother! The donkey shouted. No one is giving me honor and respect. I demand to be adored and exalted just like I was yesterday. Oh, You foolish child, the mother said gently. The people were not worshiping you yesterday. They were praising Jesus. Without him, you are nothing. Without Jesus, you're just an ordinary donkey. And friends, without Jesus, the greatest prophet in the world is just an empty, unimportant human being. It's all about Jesus. That's why God dwells in the humble. But he is far away from the proud. His presence is present in the humble, but his presence is absent from the proud. If you want to reset your walk with God, you must begin by being humble. And in order to be humble, I have to not only put God in his rightful place, but I have to see myself in my right place. If God is God, then I am not. If Jesus is Lord, then I am not. That's why James 4, 6, and 7 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. Humility is not thinking less of yourself than you should. It's simply seeing yourself as God sees you. Humility is not looking down on yourself. It's looking up to God. Humility is what brings God near. Humility is what brings God's favor. Humility is what brings God's grace. That's why Psalms 138.6 says, Though the Lord is supreme, he takes care of those who are humble, but he stays away from the proud. The great news for all of us is this. Whenever we call upon our Heavenly Father to help us, He's always there for us. If we would simply come to Him in childlike faith, He will hear us. If we will humble ourselves like a child, He will answer us. God is far from those who think they know it all, who think they can do it on their own. But He's near to those who humble themselves and trust in Him. And when you're humble, you realize your need for God. When you're humble, you will become hungry for His presence. You will seek Him. For You see, the proud minimize their need for God, so they seek Him casually, if at all. The proud are not hungry for God because their lives are full of other things. But the humble know they cannot live one single day without God, so they seek Him wholeheartedly. And that brings us to our second truth today God dwells in the hungry. If you want to reset your walk with God, you must be hungry for His presence. We learned this from the second group of people that experienced the presence of the Savior, the wise men. Listen to Matthew 2, 1 and 2. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Matthew continues in verse 9. And think about these wise men. They traveled from a far distance. It was a long and a dangerous journey. It probably took them more than a year to get from their homeland to Bethlehem. They had to overcome obstacles, discouragement, and disappointment and opposition. They lost their way and took a detour to Jerusalem. They faced Herod and had to carefully navigate through a treacherous political minefield. But the wise men never gave up. They kept seeking. They were hungry for God. They were hungry for His presence. And so they found Him in Jesus. There were people who lived within walking distance of Jesus that never bothered to visit Him. Some people lived across the street from Jesus in Bethlehem, but they could not get up out of their chair and go across the street to see the King of Glory. But these men came from afar through desert and jungles to see Christ. And in their example, we understand that if you want to reset your walk with God, you have to be hungry for Him. So let me ask you a question today Are you hungry for God? Are you so hungry for the presence of Jesus that you would travel for a year and face opposition and persevere through desert and jungle just? To see Jesus? For the fact is, those who are hungry for God always find him. That's why the Bible says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God came near to us when Christ was born. But today, God is asking us to draw near to him. He's seeking people who will hunger after him so that he will come and dwell in us. The good news is there are no restrictions to those who can draw near. Anyone can draw near. It doesn't take a special type of person, just a humble, hungry heart. Think about these wise men. They were not Jews. They weren't people who followed God. Their nation and their ethnic group were outside of God's kingdom. They came from people who were astrologers and idol worshipers and Satan worshipers. But they came because they were hungry for a walk with God. And it doesn't matter where you come from or what family you come from or what you've done in the past. If you will hunger for God, if you will search for God and seek him with that same intensity, you will be the person that God comes and dwells inside of. That's the message the Lord spoke to me back in 2012 when a powerful storm struck the United States. It was called Superstorm Sandy, and it was battering New York City for hours. The wind was fierce, the rain was torrential, and the floodwaters rose all along the coast. As night began to darken the city, a woman named Glenda Moore knew she was in danger. Home alone with her two sons, two-year-old Brandon and four-year-old Connor, she could see the floodwaters rising in the streets. Glenda grabbed her two young sons, got into her car, and began driving through the flooded streets, hoping she could flee to safety. But the storm proved too strong for Glenda. The strong wind shook her car, and the floodwaters made it impossible to drive. With the water rising around her, Glenda fled the car, carrying her two boys. For hours, they struggled against the wind, and suddenly a powerful wave came and hit Glenda and knocked the two boys from her arms. And the flood carried the two boys away into the night. Imagine the desperation Glenda felt at that moment. Alone in the storm, surrounded by darkness, beaten by the wind and the rain. Yet the most horrible thing of all was the loss of her two sons. She had to find them. So for 12 hours, Glenda stayed outside in Superstorm Sandy, searching, seeking help, crying out for her boys. Nothing else mattered but the one thing that mattered most finding her sons. Forgetting her own safety and comfort, Glenda Moore would have done anything to reunite with her boys. When I heard the true story of Glenda Moore alone in the storm searching for her children, I was moved. I can feel the same desperation she felt as a father. I can understand the desire and the determination to stop at nothing to recover my children. So imagine my surprise when the Holy Spirit spoke to me about what I could learn from Glenda Moore. As I reflected on her story, the Lord showed me that he wants me to have that same desperation and that same desire for him. As Glenda had to find her boys, the same zeal that led her to stay out in the storm all night searching should mark my desire to stop at nothing to seek God in my life. Like a mother pursuing her lost children, God is calling us to pursue him. We are called to pursue God with the greatest desperation, the deepest desire, and the strongest determination any man or woman could ever have. To many people today, this may seem like a strange thought. Most of the time we think it is God who should chase us. Why should we pursue God like a mother seeking her lost children? After all, God is all around me. He is with us at all times. He's not hiding from us. So why should I pursue him like a mother seeking her lost child? In fact, he is the one inviting us to come near to him. So why would we need to chase after God? Yet there comes a point in time in our walk with God when the Lord wants to know how serious we are with him. There comes a time when you have to go beyond casual curiosity and go deeper in the realm of pursuing God. For even though God is not hiding from man, Neither does God reveal himself to those who are casual or distracted or double-minded. The fact is, the secret place, the presence of the Most High, is reserved for those who are hungry for God. The deeper things of God are reserved for those who chase him. All through history, the men who excelled in their walk with God were those who hungered most for him. That's why hunger is a hallmark of those who are near to God. Only the hungry get close to God. This is the key for anyone at any time that hungers for God. All through history, all great men and women of God were marked by a hunger for God. Their hunger for God could be seen in their devotion to him. That's what we see in Enoch. The Bible tells us in Genesis 5, 23 and 24, Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day, he disappeared because God took him. Now listen, friends. There were many other people in the days of Enoch who knew God. There were others who prayed and worshipped God. Even Adam, the first man, was alive when Enoch was a young man. Enoch must have known Adam. He must have known Cain and Seth and even Noah. Others were there in his day, but they were all content to worship God from afar. Enoch did more than that. He walked in close fellowship with God. He was hungry for the Lord. So he went beyond the ordinary and walked with God. And God rewarded him. He never died. He just walked with God and walked right up to heaven. For God took him. The same thing can be seen in the life of Moses. We see his passion for God in Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. Then Moses said, if you, Lord, don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Moses was in the desert, waiting to go into the promised land. But God had become angry with the people of Israel. They would complained against him. So God said, I will send you to the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. I'll give you what you ask for. You'll have riches and prosperity, but you won't know me. And Moses said, no way. If you, Lord, don't go with me, I don't want to go. I'd rather live in the wilderness with you than in the promised land without you. If your presence isn't with us, then keep me here in the desert. I'd rather be in the wilderness with you than in the land of milk and honey without you. So, friends, let me ask you a question. If you could have your choice today, which would you choose? To have all your prayers answered and yet be far from God? Or remain as you are without your dream and desire fulfilled, yet have his presence near to you every day? There are many today. Who want to go and live in the UK or the US? If you could choose, would you choose to live in the USA without God? Or would you stay in your village with God? There are many today who seek a loving life partner. Would you choose to stay single and know God or be happily married but lose his presence? Many people today are praying for money. Would you choose to be rich beyond your wildest dreams without Jesus, or just remain as you are? Did have him near. Now, I'm not suggesting that you cannot have both God's presence and his blessings, but every one of us has to come to a place of decision what we value most. God tests our hearts like he tested Moses, and our response determines the level of his presence in our lives. Moses made his choice. Take the blessings, but give me Jesus. Take the land flowing with milk and honey, but give me God's presence. And what was the result? Numbers 12, 6 to 8 reveals God's words. Listen to what the Lord said. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him, with Moses, I speak face to face. Others knew God. Other prophets had revelation, but Moses was different. He spoke with God face to face. The whole nation of Israel had a relationship with God, but only Moses pursued him and knew him face to face. You may be thinking, well, that's just because Moses was a man of God. I'm not a prophet. I'm just an ordinary person. Yet what about David? He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. Yet he knew God better than most priests and prophets. His hunger for God consumed him, and he chased after God. He said in Psalm 42:1 and 2, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And he became a man so special to the Lord that God said, David is a man after my own heart. Think about the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3 tells us of his great desire for the Lord. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And friend, here's the truth you need to remember today. You too can be devoted to God. You can be single-minded. You can be just as zealous for God as the Apostle Paul. You can have the close fellowship with God that Enoch had. You can value God more than any other thing like Moses did. You can be as hungry for God as David was. God is no respecter of persons. It's not a special calling to be close to God. It doesn't come by education. You won't find a degree in knowing God at the seminary. And you won't get it by anointing oil put on you from a prophet. To be hungry for God means we forget about our own needs and focus on pursuing him. Remember what Paul said, forgetting what is behind? You see, to be devoted to Christ meant that Paul forgot about the things behind he put other things out of his mind he cleared out every other distraction and sought god he made god his focus that's the problem for many of us today we're distracted by other things you can't be hungry for god when you're full of other things you can't be devoted to god when you're devoted to other things you can't chase god while you're chasing worldly things that's why proverbs 27:7 says he who is full loathes honey but to the hungry Even what is bitter tastes sweet. Once many years ago, I came home from a ministry event. I was very hungry, and I went into the kitchen, and I found my wife cooking. She was preparing a delicious meal, and it smelled so good. I was so excited to eat her sweet food, so I sat down to wait. But as I waited, I was hungry, and there was a packet of biscuits on the table, so I opened the pack and started eating biscuits. As my wife cooked and I waited, I kept eating biscuits. Finally, the food was done. My wife started to serve me this delicious meal, but by this time, I wasn't hungry. I had eaten so many biscuits while I waited, my stomach was full. I lost my appetite for the real meal because I got full-on ordinary market biscuits. I got full of biscuits and missed the feast. And that's how it is for many of us. We get so full of worldly things, of entertainment and of social media and material goods. We miss God. We get so busy running here and there. We miss God. We've lost our appetite for Jesus because we're full of useless things. You can't be full of God and full of the world at the same time. You need to reset your walk with God. For you are as hungry for God as you want to be. Your appetite for God is not determined by God, but by you. You can increase your appetite for his presence by putting aside other things and making room for him. And that brings us to the final truth today. God dwells in the holy devoted. That's the lesson we learned from a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. They both experienced the presence of God through Jesus because they were wholly devoted to him. Listen to what the Bible says about these two in Luke chapter 2. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God. The Bible says Simeon was a devout man. He was wholly devoted to God. And at the very moment, the very instant that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple, God led Simeon to be there. At the very time, in the very place where Jesus was, God brought Simeon to meet him. Then in Luke 2, the Bible says Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along, just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So understand that Anna and Simeon were wholly devoted to God. Anna never left the temple. She fasted and prayed night and day. And just like Simeon, at that very moment, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus, these two, who were wholly devoted to God, entered the temple and saw the Messiah. Notice something from the Word of God today. The shepherds and the wise men sought God and came to where he was. But Simeon and Anna sought God and were wholly devoted to him. And God sought them and came to where they were. For when you have a heart of worship, God will seek you out and find you. He will search for you to bring his presence near to you. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16:9, God is always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him. So that he may strongly support them. And that's still the same truth you can rely upon today. That's why Jesus said in John 4.23, even now, the true worshipers are being led by the Spirit to worship the Father according to the truth. These are the ones the Father is seeking. Just put your hand on your chest and say, the Father is seeking me to worship him. For when you seek God diligently, he will seek you. When you pursue God, he pursues you. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He doesn't reward the casual inquirer. He doesn't meet with the careless visitor. He rewards those who are diligent in seeking him. You may give a nod to God, but the Lord comes down in his present to those who diligently seek him. Do you remember the story I told you at the beginning of my sermon? Bill Connor lost his daughter, Abby, but Abby's heart was transplanted to Jack and gave him a second chance at life. And when Bill Connor met Jack Jr., he came near to him. He put a stethoscope to Jack's chest and listened to his daughter's heart beating. And that's a picture of what God does to us when Jesus comes into our lives. When Christ comes to live in your heart by faith, it draws the attention of heaven. The Father God comes close to us. He comes to listen to his Son dwelling in us. When Christ dwells in us, the presence of God dwells in us. That's why the prophet Hosea cries out in Hosea 6.3, Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. We must press on to know the Lord. We must keep his presence near to us every day. We must seek him and pursue him and chase after him. And when we press on to know him, he will respond to us. As surely as the sun will rise, He will come. As surely as the rain must fall, He will come. As surely as the seed time and harvest, the reaping and the sowing. As surely as the earth moves and time passes. As sure as anything else in the world, we have this assurance. God will come to us. He will respond to us. He will draw near to us. He will dwell with us and speak to us. And We will know Him so let us know him let us press on to know the lord will you press on to know the lord we need a new touch of his presence in our lives yesterday was great but it's over this past year god has done many great things but the past is not good enough for me I want a touch from God today. I want to know Him today. I want to hear His voice today. I want a new move, a new power, a new revelation, a new grace, a new glory. I want to press on and know Him more. I want God's presence. And God is calling you back to your first love today. He's calling you to reset your walk with Him. Humble yourself. Hunger after Him. Wholly devote yourself to God. He will come and dwell with you as you Reset your walk with God. Father, come and move in our hearts today. Stir in us to press on to know you. Give us a hunger after you that will not be denied. Let every other thing, let every worldly thing, let every other passion and pursuit fade from view. As we focus on you, forgetting what is behind, we press on to know you. Christmas means you came to live among us so that you could live in us. We open our hearts to you. We humble ourselves to you. We hunger after you and devote ourselves to you. Come, Lord, live in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the Senior Pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Lagoon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6pm or on Sunday at 7.30, 9.30 or 11.30am. You will have an awesome experience.